Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have a uh, colleague of mine, a friend, a nominee for, uh, what group are you running for? Group 31. Group 31 for the circuit bench. Circuit bench. In Hillsborough County. Uh, Greg Green. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Greg. Thanks for having me. So I know you uh, from years of litigating against you. Uh, I know this is not your first time running locally. Is it your second? It's my second time running, Okay. Yes. And uh, the elections are coming up in August? August will be the primary. We hope that that's the end of the election. Um, I'm in a judicial race, so in a judicial race, if you get 50% plus one at that August election, you are done. If there, Obviously, if there's two people in the race, you're done at that point. If there are three or more and the top candidate doesn't get that 50% plus one, then there's a runoff in November with the top two that will go to the runoff. And isn't that what happened to you last time? That is absolutely what happened to me last time. I actually won the primary. I had uh, just under 45%, right at 45%, so I was 5% away from not needing a runoff. Um, then I got in the runoff, and I actually ended up losing in the runoff. So Okay. Well, I would like to kind of go back and then make our way towards present yeah, day and, and what's on the horizon. So. I think we're about the same age. How old are you? I just turned 46 last week. Okay, so I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, where were you born? Here. I am a, uh, I'm actually a seventh-generation Tampa native. That's pretty rare. I have a, I have a group that I'm in, Trusted Advisors, and there's an attorney in there named Tyler Young, and he's 13th generation. Wow. Yeah, like right, you so could trace them all me. the way back to the boats landing almost. Yeah, we yeah. can trace back to the American Indians. Oh, That's wow. as far back as we can go. So what is green? What, where, What's your... That's all over from Europe. That, so when I talk about the generations that are tied to Tampa, uh-huh. that's my mom's side. That's okay. Campbell. Campbell. Um, green is all over you know, Europe, Ireland, all, all that kind of stuff. That's dad. Okay. And are you an only child or do you have siblings? I have uh, two half-brothers, um, but I'm the only child from my mom. Okay. And so you uh, were born and raised in Florida. Did you say Tampa? Tampa. Okay. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? I went to, for high school, I went to Chamberlain. Okay. Uh, they've changed the name of my, my elementary school from first to eighth grade. I went to a place called Seminole Presbyterian, uh-huh. which is now, don't know why, called Cambridge Christian. Huh. Yeah. They converted. Yeah. At some it's point more along formal the... sounding. Right, right, right. Uh, and so, uh, in high school you said Chamberlain? Chamberlain. And yes. then what about college? Went to USF for undergrad and then went to Florida State for law. So oh. really, again, haven't left very much. Uh, what was your uh, major in college? psychology, which comes in very handy for the work family that law. you know that I do, right? Yeah, yeah. Family law, I use my psychology degree every day. Was was law in, in the cards even back then, or is that something you kind of came upon after college? No, kind of funny story. So uh, I'm going going through USF, have really good grades, doing very well. Um, was going to minor in poli-sci uh, and didn't wasn't planning ahead for anything. I never will forget, I met with my uh, guidance counselor right before my senior year, and he said, so what are you going to do with a psychology degree? I said, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go get a job. No, you're not. You have to have advanced degrees to do something with psychology. And then he looked at my transcripts and saw that I was doing very well in legal classes. I'm Math is not my forte. That's, so he, that's almost... The common denominator for all attorneys. For all of us, right? Hence forensic accountants and uh, quadro specialists. 
So he said, uh, what about law school? No math? You, you, and I was taking logic classes just by chance. And he said, you know, the, the LSAT's all logic. A lot of reading and writing. You do really well in that. And so I said, all right, let me look into that. And the next thing I knew, I was taking the LSAT and in law school. How were your uh, academics as a kid? Was that Were you more of a, a, a school guy? Were you a sports guy? Were you a recluse? Were you social? How? I was a sports guy, I uh, and that'll kind of tie into some of the stuff I do now. I played football and basketball pretty much since I was six years old. Okay. Um, stopped playing football my senior year in, in high school, just played basketball. Um, had, had some offers to go play at very small schools up north. Oh, wow. Very small schools. And, what position uh, did you play? Point guard. I'm little. Okay. You know, I'm five You're fast and good. Yeah. I'm quick. Um, so, yeah, my mom basically kind of tricked me. I don't want to say tricked me. It was a good thing because I was always fine academically, but I was never knocking it out of the park. And she was worried if I went up north, um, might not play a whole lot, certainly would probably spend a whole lot more time worried about basketball than, than college. So she made a deal. You go to USF, which is local. Back then, USF was not near as expensive as it is now. What years were you at USF? 92 to 96. So you're probably there about the same time as my wife and her family. They're all the Basiglios. Yeah, uh, yep, I know the Basiglios. Spread throughout the USF. Yeah. Yeah. So she was like, yeah, you, you, you maintain A's and nothing but A's. I'll pay for it. So I was like, that seems like a good deal. Yeah. Took it. And then that's when, you know, I really kind of focused on let's make sure the grades are right. We're not going to be able to play sports forever. Sports are fun. But most of my good friends from high school and college did go a different route. They went into teaching and coaching. Right. And one of the big things I do extracurricular-wise, and I should, it's just kind of community service because it's all volunteer for me, is I coach at local high school. What high school? Robinson. Okay. I think yeah. that's by my house. Is that, is that like... South of Gandy. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm over in the Ballast Point area. Yeah. Um, so, so college straight A's, does that mean you had no girlfriends for the entirety of oh, college? Oh, no, I had girlfriends. Oh. I had girlfriends. I never I found like, a way to balance those two things. I learned how to manage time with very little sleep. And, oh. And that has, that has <laughs> that come has... in handy on the campaign trail. Well, I, I would say if there's a, uh, a, a, a talent that would help you in both this profession and a judge, that would be a good one. Yeah, it is. So uh, then did you apply to a bunch of schools or did you know FSU was where you wanted to go? I applied to, I think I, I looked this up recently, I applied to like eight. Okay. Some of them were your quote-unquote safety schools. Right. You know, um, but I, I always knew FSU was where I wanted to go. And why uh, is that? Kind of grew up an FSU football okay. fan, was looking into their law school, was very good law school at the time. It was also far enough, I, I wanted to get away from Tampa. I had been in Tampa my whole life. It was far enough away, four-hour drive, right. that I was you know, far, far enough away that I wasn't going to have people just popping in from Tampa. Uh, but also, I wanted to stay in the state of Florida because, uh, you know, when you're coming back to get jobs and when you're trying to move forward in your legal career, where you grew up sometimes matters. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it, was, it was the perfect distance, perfect school, and it worked out great. And I actually ended up, one of my high school best friends went to undergrad at Mercer, and he was applying to law school at the same time. And we both got into Florida State. Oh, wow. So we actually reconnected and were roommates in That's law school. That's awesome. Kind of have a... So I'm going to keep you honest while yep. you're there. That's very good. cool. And so when you graduated, did you know you were coming back to Tampa or were you not sure where you were going? Oh, no. I knew I was coming back. Actually, in between my junior and senior year, I did an externship with the state attorney's office here locally, uh, which is basically free work for the state attorney's office. I was working 50 hours a week and I got class credit for it, no money. Um, and it's 
it's really actually kind of doing the job as an assistant state attorney. You have a you have a supervisor that's with you in court all the time, but it's preparing you for that job. And if you do well, most of the people who did well were were offered a job. You graduate, you graduate, you pass the bar, you have a job here. So yeah, I did the same thing back. in Pinellas. I did did a three years over there after yep. a six month internship. Um, so uh, so you worked under Mark Ober for a period of time. Co first, I was under Judge. Oh really? Co. Yeah, I was. So I started. I graduated law school in '98. Um, got the job right after that, December of '98. Started when I passed the bar in '99 officially, and I think Judge Co passed away in late '99 or 2000. And then yes, I did work for Mark too. And how'd you like doing criminal prosecution? Loved it. It's it's uh, it's kind of the wild wild west. You know, you're in court all day. Every A lot of day. trial experience for sure. Ton of trial experience. You learn your way around the courtroom. Um, and it's probably, I, I've told the story a lot. It's, it's, I think one of the reasons that I'm sitting here running for judge right now is that experience of being in front of a judge all day, every day with trial experience and some of the people that were around me. M- my first supervisor was judge Loeffler. Mm-hmm. One of the first people that I was in charge of training was judge Peroni. Oh, wow. Um, judge Shanti was a trial partner. You know, I, the list goes on I didn't and realize on and judge on. Shanti was a prosecutor there. Yeah. He was a prosecutor when I was. Okay. Um, so then when you left, did you know you were wanting to go into family law or, or how did, what, what came next for you? No. Um, so when, when I left, I actually left with Norman Canella Jr. and a guy named Roger Bright. We, okay. we were doing nothing but criminal law. Um, were you working with him when he was doing Bubba Love Sponge stuff? That was our first big case. Okay. So he, uh, Bubba actually hired um, Norman Sr. Senior, as yeah. well as our firm. So that was kind of our first big case that really kind of helped get things going. That wasn't the pig case, that was it? That was the pig case. All right. For yeah. the listeners who might not know, can you give just a, a little overview on the pig case? So the pig case was, and again, this was probably 2002 or 2003, forgive me for not knowing, but Bubba did an on-air sort of radio stunt where they captured a wild boar, they killed it, they did a cookout, they fed meat to everyone, and he was charged with animal cruelty. Was this at the of- office that Regina Hunter's at now, or is this at a different place? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it might be. Okay. So he got charged with that, um, and and that's when we, like I said, I was kind of. I think we were out in private practice for about six months when that happened. Wow. Yeah. How did that that go to trial? You know, I, so we were really secondary. We were helping Norman Senior a right. lot. If I remember correctly, it did go to trial, and it was just it, we got a not guilty. But don't hold me to sure. That. Yeah. The, the memory gets. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I I well, I vaguely recall it from listening to the show yeah um but yeah anyway but i remember you you would always hear uh hazlett diaco and and canella those were the yep. attorneys you would always kind of hear c- yeah. circling each other in the bubba the love sponge spear so you went out with norm canella and this other would you say roger, roger bright right yep and so you were doing criminal defense doing nothing but criminal defense because that's what we knew right that's right. what we all know so we go out and do what we know and um and Norman's still a great friend, has been very supportive of the campaign. Roger's actually a teacher now. Oh, wow. He moved on. Um, and I just knew that solely criminal defense was not my future. I, I wanted to branch out. So I actually uh, took a job back in sort of prosecution. I went to the attorney general's office and did termination of parental rights. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I only did it for a year. Oh, it was well, very God, if, <laughs> a year is a, 10 years in that, in that field. It is. It's a... It's highly emotional, and it had that family sort of touch to it. 
Um, and then a, a, a lawyer who's been in practice forever, he's actually now a counsel to me, um, Raymond Pines. Sure, I know Ray well. Ray, Ray's been in this community for 40 plus years, saw me there and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to learn something new. And he goes, all right, well, you're just going to come work for me because here's what's new. I do family law. Uh, and he said, it's not that bad. And I said, okay, I want to learn something new anyways. And he was still do we were doing some criminal defense at the time, so something I knew. Um, and that was in 2007. That's how long ago that was. And what it just kind of happened. Your practice kind of morphs. Sure. And it morphed into pretty much solely a family law practice. Um, and now fast forward to today, I think I have about 50 active cases and 49 of them are family law. One of them is criminal. Now, there's been some iterations of your practice in recent years, if I'm correct. You've kind of had different attorneys, either as partners or associates, working uh, with you. Can you go through that a little bit? Sure. So uh, I was with Ray and I were together alone probably up until about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then we, we, we went to work with Seth Nelson and, and Nelson PA. Um, that didn't work for a lot of reasons. I, again, I, Seth is just a good friend. Uh, it was a business decision that sure. we moved on. But Ray wanted to step back at the time, so he was kind of the owner of the firm, but he said, look, it's time for you to take over the firm. I, I'm not going to be practicing forever. So when we went back out, that's what happened. It kind of became my firm, and Ray was up counsel. We partnered with Mary Quinn, and I had uh, Catherine Lynch as an associate. Both um, are great attorneys. Awesome attorneys. Yeah, and, good team. And then we had what I call the, the, the you're going to win effect. I kept hearing that from everyone. Well, you're going to win. You're going to win. Well, you've won the primary. It's going to happen. And, and well, they, let's. Well, okay. I want to back up because because okay. that's that's a big a big part of your story. I want to know what is it that drove you to make the decision to to run in the first place. So backing up to what I said, I think yeah. it was always in my head. This is something that I wanted. So this was to do. part of the plan long term. I, I, it really probably came part of the plan five or six years ago. Before that, it was always, hey, I respect some of these judges that I've been in front of. And I'm sure we're going to get into this. Some of them you look at and you, and you go, wow, I would, I would do this a thousand times different than the way they're doing it. Uh, and one of the big things for me was experience. I always right. looked, the judges that I was in front of that I truly admired all had at least two decades of practicing. So when I really started thinking about it, which was probably six years ago, I wasn't there. I right. just And I felt like I had that number in my head. And I, I was learning something new every day. I was actually, you know, in 2007, learning a whole different area of practice. Um, and so then it kind of became something that I was thinking about. And I told this story to someone. Uh, so I guess it would have been four years ago was when I was really serious about it. And Judge Valkenberg was running against Shelton Bridges. And at the time, Judge Valkenberg was not in the race. Right. But I actually met with a consultant, had paperwork in hand, and was getting ready to do it then and just didn't feel right. Called my wife. She was like, are we sure? prayed about it, and, and sure enough, Miriam got in the race two days later, and, and I probably would not have wanted to run against her. I, she, I don't know if she would have got in if I got in. So the timing wasn't right. And then two years ago, actually, I got a call from two judges pretty much on the same day saying, it's time. You've been thinking about this long enough. You've got your two decades. Your temperament's great. It, you've got to get in a race. And I looked at a race and said, well, that's the one I'm going to go get in. How do you decide which one you're going to get in? A lot of it is who you want to run against, right? Because right? at the time, there were some people in the other races that I was friends with that I thought would be very good judges. 
And uh, the race that I got in was Adam Bantner was the only person in it. And okay. I had heard of Adam, but I didn't know him. Okay. So it wasn't that I was going to be stepping on a friend's toes that, hey, I'm now running against you. Um, so that's, you know, it was nothing more than that. It was a seat that we knew the judges were tiring. We knew Adam was in it. And I didn't know Adam that well. And then I just kind of looked at, well, what, what do I think Adam has? And what can I differentiate myself from Adam? And that's when I got in. And this was the time before? This was the time before. And who so. was that an opening of a seat or a new seat? That was an opening of a seat. And so it was, yes, the judge was retiring that helped Which that judge seat. was that? Don't remember. It's okay. Yeah, that's a great question. I've kind of put that out of my well, head. Well, if you think of it, think of it later, you'll let I'll me let you know. So this seat that you're running for, is it an opening of a seat or a Same seat? thing, yeah. So this is Judge Nielsen is retiring. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember um, Judge Nielsen. Yep. Judge Nielsen did some time in family law. He is retiring. He's not seeking re-election. So um, I, one of the things that I had to decide after the defeat in the general was, when I, was I going to do this again? And it took a while to come to that, that conclusion. Um, I think a lot of that's just emotion, but when I really said, hey, look, this is something I want, I think it's something the community is behind um, with the support that I had the last time, then the, the question was, how quickly do you do this and how do you identify a seat? Right. Um, so what, what I actually did is uh, tried to figure out who might be retiring uh, and, and then went and started trying to verify that with them. And we got verification that Judge Nielsen was not going to seek re-election. And then I was the first person to get in that race. I got in it May of 2019. So you're what, eight, nine months in already? Eight, nine months in, yes. And you've got, I know, I know you're married and you have one or two kids? Two girls. Okay. So, uh, you know, I have two kids myself married and I, I can't possibly imagine how you fit running into your schedule on top of being a husband, being a father, being a business owner, being a family law attorney. Um, you know, there's only so much of you to go around. So, you know, figuring out, I think you mentioned earlier, you're good at time management, but uh, time management, but not only that, but just how to manage yourself and, and kind of touch all of those responsibilities in a way that's meaningful to each of them and, and get the job done. Have you learned from the first time to this time? I have. So the thing that suffered the most was health. Oh, God. I, I gained a ton of weight. <laughs> sure. I gained yeah. a ton of weight because there was no time to work out. There was no time to worry about that. So I'm, I'm trying to be – and when you're campaigning, you we call it the rubber chicken circuit. You just go to lunch after dinner, and there's constantly food in front of you. So what I'm – Trying to manage much better this time is not eating certain places I go, not eating late, watching what I eat. Um, that was the biggest thing because my I gained more weight than I ever gained in my life, and I just didn't feel great. So I'm I'm trying to maintain that. I, I kind of got it down pat from the first time in terms of how I manage my day, uh, and and the reality is that a lot of the work that I used to get done during the day in terms of typing and emails, it gets done in the middle of the night now. It gets done after after kids are asleep, after I've been a husband, after I've been daddy, and after I've campaigned, um, which, you know, cuts back on the sleep. But you, you learn to function without sleep at some level. Are you still carrying the same caseload that you had been? Pretty much. So after that Mary and Katie story is kind of where we left off. When they went to form their own firm, right. they obviously took a lot of cases with them. But pretty much every case that I was working on, you kept. I kept. I think maybe one didn't stay with me. So I've pretty much had that same caseload. I've, I've been lucky in that Ray is still of counsel with me. Um, I've reached out to contract attorneys when I need help, and they're always willing to step in. 
But yeah, the caseloads pretty much remained consistent. And in fact, at the end of last year, it spiked to probably the highest it's ever been. It was normally, and I'm sure you probably have the same thing, family law attorneys, we kind of suffer in November and December. No one likes to get divorced during the holidays or at least start that procedure during the holidays. It was the exact opposite for me. I had people just banging down the door, let's get this rolling. My experience is always the first two weeks of December. Well, Thanksgiving to about Christmas, it's slow. But for some reason, that week between Christmas and New Year's is bananas. Always that way for me. A lot of injunctions, a injunctions, lot of yeah. injunctions, and a lot of other stuff. It just spikes during that time. And 100%, I, I follow you. And we've been lucky the beginning of this year to pick back up. But yeah, that 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 fourth quarter slump is always something yeah. you got to kind of budget for as far as uh, financially, uh, time wise, and then. Of course, with kids, it's you know they're on vacation. You're taking right. them on trips and all this other stuff, so it's definitely tough. Now, uh, I interviewed another candidate uh, last week, Leanne Gowdy, and she kind of gave me some information, so I can kind of piggyback off of that. Okay. I don't have to have you reteach me some of this stuff. But it's my understanding: is it in April that they, you have to finalize who's in each race? Correct. That's qualifying, and we've actually had. So one of the questions I get a lot is who's in your race or who's in what race. And I, and I tell people, if you want to know today, I'm happy to give you that information. But there is movement. In fact, we, have, we had movement yesterday. Oh, yeah? Movement in a judicial race. Um, what happened? Bill Yanger was running for a circuit court seat, and he then moved to the only county seat where a judge is retiring. So that happened yesterday. Okay. Um, there's actually one of the people that's in my race now was in it before withdrew her name and is now back in. Um, so Who's that? Uh, Kelly Overfield is her okay. name. Okay. So there's, what I tell everyone is, you know in, you know in April, there's still, it's historically we've seen people that get in races, but then they don't qualify. And right. That's, that, when we talk about April, that's qualifying. There is a relatively large fee that has to be paid at that point, or you have to have enough signatures to get your name on the ballot. So you really know who's in what race in April. Okay, okay. So it's, yeah, well, one of the things in, you know, I've had this idea with the podcast. I'd like to speak with as many nominees as I could because I just thought it's a great way for people who are interested to get to know because I'm sure you know this. Every time it's election, you know, the week and two weeks before, I'm my phone is just getting blown up from family and friends. Who should Absolutely. I vote for? Yep. And it's like, well, this is who I would vote for, but I don't know necessarily who you'd want to vote for. And, you know, not everybody is quite so interested in, in these races, but those who are, I mean, I thought an hour conversation with the person to get to know him might be a great idea. But great. the point that I was making is I've been trying to figure out who's running and I still can't figure it out. I went on the supervisor of elections website and they don't make it really easy. You were nice enough to give me some names, but um, yeah, I'm still not even entirely sure everybody's running. I mean, I've been told Shafino, Yanger, Gowdy, you, um, Danny Alvarez, Lindsay Alvarez. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but the family law attorneys over in Den Dennis Hernandez's office. Oh, Gary Dolgen. Gary Dolgen. Yes. Uh, you know, so I have a concept, but in any event, it's a, it's a good point that you're making that until that date, you never really until know for you sure. You really don't know, yeah. So how many people are in your race right now? Three? Right now, there are, th there are two others, right, okay. right now. Um, so the one you mentioned, and who's the third? A guy named Scott Bonavita. See, I don't know either of those two other people. And in all honesty, uh, I don't really know them either. Right. And that, you know, doesn't mean anything, but... I don't really know either of my competitors that well. I, I have talked to Kelly before. Kelly does some family law. Right. Um, I think she does other areas of, of law too, but she does some family law. So there's some crossover at least. We've we've connected once or twice. I, I don't know Scott at all. Well, you know, 
my goal in speaking to the nominees is kind of to give them an opportunity to explain, you know, their view of the bench, what they think is important and why they think that they would be, be they would be good at it. But I kind of use my experience with the bench as kind of a jumping off point. And uh, in, in asking the nominees questions, I'm going to do my best to kind of ask everybody the same questions so that I'm not sure. treating one person unfairly over the other. But uh, I've always found that it takes a certain kind of person to want to be a judge. And maybe a, a couple of different certain types of person. Uh, and one of the traits that I often see, and this is where I, I'm not very happy with the results, is the ego component of it. And I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but um, some people, you know, seek that seat for a position of power. And I, I was wondering what your view was on that and, you know, how you've seen that, what your experience is and how you might relate to that in your, in your campaign. I don't, I don't disagree. I think that there are certain judges who, who sought the seat for that or they get there and that becomes a motivating factor for them to stay. Uh, you heard me talk about, you know, somebody that's been a litigator their whole life and that's what I've been. I've, I've experienced literally the gamut of, of every personality that you can pretty much see on the bench. And that's one of the things that is a turnoff for me. Right. Um, you know, I, I, people have actually said, well, then who do you admire? Who do you look to? I don't know if you ever practiced in front of Judge Bill Fuente, but he was as he was as as good as they got in my opinion. Right. There was no power, no ego about what he was doing. He treated everyone with the same manner of respect and decorum. He was always prepared. I think that's such a big thing for judges is to be prepared to the extent that you know what's coming in front of you. And if he didn't know, he was perfectly fine telling you that's an issue I don't know, but I'm going to go research it. And I'll make sure that I do know the answer and give it to you in a form that you can digest. And, and that's what motivates me to run. Um, we've even talked about uh, amongst so many friends, I think what you're describing is sometimes what gets referred to as the black robe syndrome. Yeah. Hey, I'm up here. I have the black robe. I, I don't even need to wear a robe. For me, it's, it's about doing justice and it's about making sure that everyone who comes in front of me gets treated fairly and that we're looking at their case from a truly blank slate position. Tell me tell me what your arguments are and then let me make the calls where I'm allowed to make the calls. Well, you used a word earlier and it's a word that I often use when uh, having this type of conversation with people. But for me, if I were to pick one factor that is the most important for me for a judge, it's temperament. Uh, I don't really quite care so much if you practice family law before. I don't even really care so much how prepared you are and I know that might be somewhat controversial. <laughs> But I think you'd agree with me that family law is just hard. It is hard. And especially for those judges who are running who haven't practiced it, I, would, I, I can't think of another area of law where there's such a breadth of knowledge that you have to have a mastery of. I know it all. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with finances. You're dealing with psychology of children, psychology of a marriage, domestic abuse, substance abuse, alimony, quadros. financial... Quadro. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really just kind of covers a wide range of topics and you, you have to have a mastery of it all. And so it's, so that's hard for that reason, but then it's just, you know, they, there's the saying that's always criminals, uh, criminal defense is bad people on their best behavior and family laws, good people yeah, on their worst, worst behavior. behavior. I don't know whether or not I agree, but I would agree that you are seeing people at possibly the lowest point in their life. And that manifests itself in very ugly 
behavior and oftentimes we as the attorney become kind of the figurehead or the whipping post for our client, for the opposing party, for the opposing counsel, for the judge. So it's it's just, in my experience, it's, it, you know, I, I do like what I do. I do feel like I'm helping, but it is a very difficult area of law to practice. And if you compound it by a judge who doesn't have the temperament, who can't, they don't have to have a sense of humor per se, but at least kind of keep it a civil proceeding, you know, keep it, keep it, you know, that communication can be had, that there's not, you know, making matters worse. I don't know if you would agree. I mean, you use the word temperament, but how important do you think that is? I think it's, I agree with you. I think it's the most important trait a judge can have. And we probably are both biased because we spend so much time in family law and we see when judges come in with a, a bad attitude, right. just a bad attitude about being there. It, it only makes things worse because it is probably the most contentious area of law that's out there. And what you need is somebody on the bench who's going to try and, and ratchet it down just a little bit. And the temperament and the attitude that they have when they come into work every day is so important. And one of the questions that I finally got an answer to, and we all, we all know this as family law practitioners, is why do they give us all the new judges, right? That, I mean, Wait, it's true. It's true. You, you kind of throw you right in the firing squad right off the bat. Yeah, I don't know it, if it's a vetting process or what it is. So here's what I was told, and it, it makes sense. No matter how experienced of a lawyer you are, there's going to be a transition to becoming a judge. There's going to be a learning curve. You're now learning how to be a judge. Right. The one thing we don't have in family law or dependency, which is where kind a lot of, a of new judges... Cousin of family law. Correct. Yeah. We don't have juries. Right. So the thought process behind the judges who kind of put the new judges there is, I'm teaching. you're going to learn how to be a new judge without having to deal with that second factor, which is the jury. Right. And and I understand that. But yeah, then what we get to do is is sort of... Teach these judges, teach these judges <laughs> about family law. Here's what's family law. And then inevitably, they don't want to be there. So they, they do their time. And then it's, okay, I'm moving on to my next gig. Right. So that's where that's where the uh, new seats are. Um, right. Well, it's funny because one of the things that I've experienced too, uh, and, and there's a couple of judges that I, I won't say their names, but I picture when I'm saying this, is they fight tirelessly to get on the bench and then they just seem miserable. And I just, I, I, you know, I think a big part of where you're at and everybody in your similar position is knowing what you're getting into. And I don't know how you do that. Like, you know it from the attorney side, but I don't know how much of the job do you really know as an attorney not having been there. And have you thought about that? Have you taken any steps to kind of get a better idea of what you are getting into? It's a big reason I'm running because you heard me mention three judges that I worked with at the state attorney's office. There's more than that. There are judges that I've been friends with for a very long time. And as I started to think about this, they obviously weren't becoming judges early in my career. They were becoming judges at about that 10 to 12 year mark. Every one of them that's taken the bench, I've taken the time to go and talk to and some of those discussions have been an hour. Some of them have been four days. What's this job really like? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And then most importantly, look, don't, don't just stroke my ego and say, yeah, you'd be great at it. Yeah. Do you think that my temperament suits this? Do you think that this is something that I should do? So I spent a lot of time 
trying to gather that information about what life is going to be like. And you, you, I don't know if you've heard this, but one of the biggest complaints that judges have about their daily lives is how isolated they are. Right. As practitioners, we get to go into the courtroom and I see you and I can spend five minutes with you and I can talk with someone else, you know, and we're all kind of, we're, we're, we're going to that central courthouse. We're interacting with clients a lot. Judges, the biggest complaint like I've heard from them is they, they do their job, they maintain their docket, and then they go and they're sort of isolated from everyone else. Well, not only that, just ethically speaking, uh, they kind of have to be. You know, Correct. A lot of them are getting off of social media. You can't really go to lunch with your friends quite like you can. You can't exchange gifts. You can't, you know, so even, even more than just what the job itself requires is the... the uh, you know, the judicial ethics kind of require you to be removed a little bit from the bar. Right. So because you don't want to give that 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 appearance of, hey, somebody has has that advantage when they walk in my courtroom. So you're absolutely right. Right. So, well, as far as you go, I mean, I know you I have a pretty good concept of you. I know you as a, as a well-regarded practitioner of family law and you've been doing it. You've hit the 20 year mark. So you're definitely esteemed in that regard. But what is it about yourself that think makes you uniquely um, uh, the best choice for, for this nomination? So I, I kind of group it into four categories. I do think the experience matters. I, I think that right now the, the law is you only have to be a practicing attorney for five years to run for judge. And I think that's pretty low. Yeah. Uh, as I've said, most of the good judges that I saw were at that 20-year mark, and I'm two decades into this. So I think I have the experience which is necessary. Uh, then I do think you need some diversity in terms of your practice because you, you don't know where you're going to be. But the likelihood is that you're going to do multiple areas of law. And I think having that criminal background, being familiar with the criminal rules of procedure, and now, you know, family law, we are, we're the civil rules of procedure, and then we have our own little family rules. So understanding that, understanding juries and non-jury trials, because again, judges are going to do both, I think that diversity really makes me uniquely qualified. And then we, I heard this so much when I ran the first time, and I'm hearing it again. We don't know anything about the judges. And a lot of people take that as, well, then it must not be that important of a position, so I just won't vote for it, or I'll just pick a name. And the reality is, is your judges are the only people that you're voting for that can take away your life, liberty, or property. Right. And when you're going in front of them, it's usually one of the most stressful times in your life, whether it be a criminal charge, a divorce, a contract dispute that you're getting sued on. So I think that judges are really the ultimate public servants and you need to understand the community. You need to be involved in the community. Um, so one of the big things that I talk about is my community service. I'm not just connected here because I grew up here, but I try and do as much as I can to make sure that I'm giving back to this community. I'm a big brother in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. I've been coaching girls flag football at Robinson. This will be my ninth year. I'm a marriage counselor at my church. Oh, really? That's a fun story. Oh, wow. And my pastor came to me four years ago, and we got we got to keep people out of your office. Yeah. Who's better than you yeah. at doing that? So I've been doing that for a really long time, and that's kind of, it's very rewarding to be able to do that. And then I'm an attorney at Lightham, um, and for those of the listeners that don't know, when a juvenile gets charged with a crime, if their parent doesn't show up in court, I'm on a list that goes and basically it can never substitute for a parent but I'm there to assist the child in more than just a legal capacity. I'm there to kind of help that child get through it while they have their own um, public defender that's usually assigned to the case. So 
I, I really think that giving back to the community and showing that you're committed to the community is important in a judicial race. Is that all four? I'm trying to think. Experience? Experience, the diversity. Diversity. And the community service, which kind of ties into everything. So maybe it's three, three. right now. Well, and I only, I'm only asking you that because there's questions that popped up in my mind based sure. on each of those. So uh, for the listeners who may not know, the circuit court judge position what are what are the different areas that you can end up uh, in circuit court as far so, as a judge? Family law, which right. we obviously have talked about. Juvenile dependency. Uh, you can end up in circuit civil. So that's a, a civil dispute over money that's now we've had to change in law, $50,000 or greater. Uh, and then felonies. So basically any criminal charge that's a felony, which is the, the high, when you think of it, that's the, the more serious crime. Misdemeanor mm -hmm. is the less serious. Felony is the more serious right. crime. Right, right. So uh, you said, you, you mentioned the charity that you're doing. Uh, are you on the board or are you working with anything like Friends of Joshua House, Metropolitan Ministries, anything like that? I volunteer at Metropolitan Ministries, not really on the board of anything. Okay. I, most of my, and, and so here's my strong point. Sure. I've been coaching around kids. Most of my community service and what I do relates to kids and giving back to kids. That's why the Big Brother program is so important to me. I actually have had two little brothers. I'm getting ready. In fact, they called me yesterday. I'm getting ready to have my third. I do the school-based program where I go into the school and actually kind of help my little brother in the school. Um, and that ties right into the coaching that I've been able to do. And then that ties into my work with the Attorney Ad Litems program, which again is kids. Um, I think I just kind of connect and, and I hope that I'm being able to show them something different than they've seen either in their home life or, or whatever's got them to a place where I'm intervening in their life. That's, so one other question, and I'll preface this by saying I'm not going to ask you about your politics, but uh, it's it's about uh, politics uh, and the degree to which you think it does or does not enter into uh, sitting as a as a judge. Um, it's an apolitical position, so you know not like certain other elections where you're a Dem or a Republican or any of that sort of thing. But uh, and I was explaining this to uh, Leanne when I interviewed her last week, but. I do think, even though it's not supposed to, it plays a role in uh, some judges, and especially in family law, where under 6113, we've got the factors that the court's supposed to consider when deciding what to do with the children. And there's those ones about the moral fitness of a parent, uh, substance abuse, alcohol abuse like that. And I have experienced, this, this was the question I wanted to get to because you mentioned continuity. The idea is that no matter what courtroom you're in, you should be treated generally the same way. Correct. But that's not my experience always. You know, uh, there's certain judges that you know if you have this issue in front of, it's likely going to go this way. Or if you're in front of these judges, it's going to go this way. And, um, you know, one, one that I've kind of had a disparity of treatment on is marijuana use. Um, you know, I've heard, I've seen some judges, you know, treated as though it's the worst thing ever. And I've had other judges that say, were you guys doing this during the marriage? Is, is this a problem during the marriage? Or were you both kind of living this lifestyle and just now that you guys are no now longer getting issue. along, right. now it's a big issue. So do you, have you, well, I'll ask a two-parter. Have you experienced where kind of the ethical perspective or the moral perspective of the judge kind of changes how they interpret those factors and implement them in your cases? Have you noticed that? I don't know that I've, I think I, I attribute it to just the difference in the judge. I think sure. you've probably taken it to the next level, which is, hey, are politics playing into this? And, and they very well may be. 
I think a lot of that is knowing your judge, right? One of the things that I'm sure you do when a client comes in is if it's already, if you have a filed case. First you, thing I do is right, look for the judge. Right, yeah. you look for the judge because yeah. you want to know your judge and you want to be able to tell your client, okay, this judge kind of does this as it relates to whatever issue. Right. So I think potentially there could be some politics in play there, but I think it's more about the judge's sort of personal beliefs about everything. Because what I tell every client, and you know this, is they're still people. At the end of the day, they're still people. And and I I think this ties into your question. It was actually one of the, the biggest things we get questioned about on the campaign trail is criminal law. Mm-hmm. Because that's what people know. That's what people sink their teeth into. And the general public, I think, has a is a misperception that judges have all this leeway when it comes to criminal law and that they're making decisions as because when you really boil it down, usually juries are deciding guilt or innocence, sure. and then there's score sheets where there's ranges, and you have minimum mandatories in certain things. So usually the, if a judge is sentencing, they're following guidelines that have been set down by the legislature. You mentioned 6113. I think judges have more leeway and gray area to impose what they believe sort of fits this family and family law than anywhere. Right. Because you give us these factors and you say, well, here's what you got to follow, but that's it. There's nothing other than the factors. There's no guideline about how do you apply this factor to the set of facts. Right. And that's where your judge and and what they sort of believe as it relates to the family is going to play into what ultimately happens. Well, and so another one, especially if you're going to end up on the criminal bench in circuit court, is the death penalty. Yeah. So did you do any murder cases when you were at the state attorney's office? Only sat and watched. So I left the state attorney's office before I got promoted to a felony chief, which Mm -hmm. is when you really start doing that. So no, only in watching them, never actually participated. And what about in defense? Defense, we had an attempted murder, but okay. never an actual murder. Okay. Because again, you know, I, I like to think that I know my limits. And, you know, one of the things that family law attorneys often do at a certain point is they go get mediation certified. Yes. All of a sudden, everybody's a mediator. I know that I would be an awful mediator. <laughs> I also know that I would be an awful... I don't awful... think that. Oh, well, <laughs> I appreciate it, but... Because a lot of that is temperament. Well, yeah, and I got my Irish temperament that uh, kind of shows itself at a certain point. But, uh, but uh, again, with the judge, I don't know that I could ever do circuit because I'm I'm not I'm not pro death penalty, uh, and finding myself in a position where that may have to be a sentence that I impose. I mean, that's something that I, I think about, and I'm not going to ask you your position on that. But um, you know, these are the things that even though the public isn't supposed to consider the politics, it's not made a part of the campaign. I do think it's got to play a, a role in kind of. I think it should play a role in whether you seek the position. Sure. Right. Well, one hundred percent. These are these are questions that you need to ask yourself, and you need to be prepared to, as we all say, and sometimes people get upset with us about this answer: is follow the law. Right. You know. Uh, so many of the questions we get, really, I direct back to the legislature. People are, what they're really asking me is, isn't this law terrible? Right. And I'm telling them, that's not for me to decide. Yeah. That's where you need to go call your state legislature and say, this law is terrible, so I don't have to enforce it. That's right. That's right. So uh, how has your family been through the, this, the second attempt at this? So it, is your wife working? Is she at home? Or yeah, so my I'd like to run my wife. She's the brains of the family. Yeah, okay. <laughs> She's an engineer and an auditor. She oh, wow. works. Yeah, she works for Lockheed Martin. She's been with Lockheed Martin forever. She's she is a rock star. Um, she is one of the biggest reasons I'm doing this again. I thought for sure 
that after the first campaign, she was going to say, well, we gave that or the old college try. And, and I talked a little bit about this, but I was the only lawyer that ran the last time that received every endorsement you could get. Um, it was just, it was a campaign I set out. I said, I had goals. We need, we need to raise money through our campaign committee. We met all those goals. We got all the endorsements that we thought we needed. And then I went everywhere where I thought I needed to go and we still came up short. So when I looked at that, I said, all right, so what do we do better? And, and I was struggling with what we do better. We, we've implemented some of those things and I won't give that away. No, I'm not going to ask you that. That sure. strategy. But one of the, the motivating factors was about a month after, and I'm saying this in jest for all the listeners, my wife looked at me and goes, if you don't do this again, I'm going to divorce you. Yeah. And I said, well, that's not an option. Yeah. Um, and, and her point was as an engineer, not someone that's a lawyer and your wife's a lawyer. So right. she gets to see you in action. My wife had, had, she just heard, he's really good at what he does. But right. then she kind of got to see and talk to people on the campaign trail and see all these endorsements and have everyone say, he's really qualified. This is where he should be. And when, when that happened, she said, we're not giving up on this. This is where you deserve to be. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's so important, you know, it's in huge. everything you do uh, to have that approval of your spouse. Uh, as far as your kids, how old are they? Five and three. And uh, are, are they like kind of this part of it? Are they out there pounding the pavement? Are they helping seal envelopes and do all that kind of this stuff? This time. So last time it was... Th- then they younger, were, yeah. They were, what, four and two or three and one. So Skylar is the oldest and Sage is the youngest. Um, it, it's so funny. The, the timing of this question is great. We just did the MLK parade sure. on Wednesday. And so they walked in the parade. And the last couple times they've been in parades, they were very shy, very to themselves, just kind of either sat in the car that we had following us or sat in their stroller. This time they... Dad, give me beads. Going up, talking to talking to voters. There were cops that lined the parade route. They went up to every officer, vote for my dad. It was so neat to see. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be active campaign participants this time because they want to be. I hope this is okay to ask. Your wife sure. is African American, isn't she? She is. So you guys have uh, been a part of that parade and been a part of that world, and you've gotten to yep. experience that. Which maybe you would not any comment on you personally, but it definitely opens you up to a whole other part of the community that maybe we don't normally uh, have an opportunity to see unless you're actively seeking it out. True. Has that informed who you're all who you are at all as an attorney? Do you think? Oh yeah, I yeah. Your spouse, regardless of of race, creed, uh, I think that it, that certainly shapes who you are. Right. So, yeah. Right. So uh, do things start ramping up in April once you know who's qualified? They have already ramped Are up. Are you full speed now or I'm is there an escalation speed. over no, time? I'm full speed. So what happens it, from, again, just sort of experience and doing it before and having, I actually have really three campaign consultants, um, two that are full-time, one that's in charge, sort of everything. And then there's one that, that is secondary. And then there's one that's probably going to help with media. And we map all this out. It's January's here. There's no more time to to just do this at thirty or sixty percent. So it's since since pretty much the beginning of the year, I've been full time campaign and full time work, which is why the sleep is now gone. In fact, we have an event tonight. Uh, I, Please my, announce events. I'm gonna. Yeah. If we're getting to that okay. point. I want to ask you sure. about. Events where people could come and hear you. I want to ask where they could find you online, social media, and all sure. that sort of thing. I don't know if they'll hear this tonight, but if they... If they, they won't hear it tonight, but yeah, we'll so, try and get right. it out there quickly. It, it'll be... You can catch on to the next one. But tonight yeah. we have an event at Duckies. Okay. Um, that's 530 to 730. In terms of finding me, you can find me on greggreenforjudge.com, and that's F-O-R, not the number four. 
and then uh, Greg Green on Facebook. Those are the two easiest places to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. It was yeah, a pleasure having, having you having here me. and getting to hear kind of your take on uh, this enterprise that you've uh, entered into. And uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. On the temperament uh, part, I think you've got a lock on it because, Thanks. you know, my experience with you has always been uh, a pleasure under the circumstances, very professional, very knowledgeable, and keeping things kind of where they need to be. So I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much for having All me. All right. Take care, Greg. Thank you.